Hi, this is Stay, and I am your host, Takesha August. On this podcast, you'll hear conversations and content dedicated to trust, love, and honoring our intuition from birth to motherhood, from work to womanhood. Collectively, we will be cultivating peace, joy, confidence, and community, the foundational elements of thriving in a well-lived life, and sharing some laughter along the way. Here's to new patterns, healed hearts, and becoming the masters of our own self-preservation. You are invited to stay with your heart, with your body, and with me. Welcome. Hello and welcome to Stay. This is Takesha, and I am so excited about my guest today, who I met during the incredible era um, that has been our pandemic time um, in a community with other incredible women, well, and some men, but she and I really connected and have been supporting one another with our businesses, with life, with mothering um, virtually for several months now. And I'm so excited that she agreed to be on the podcast to share her brilliance. Her name is Surabi Veach, and she is the passionate physio on Instagram and online. And Surabi will tell you even more about who she is, but you know, to be more specific, she is the owner of The Passionate Physio, a physiotherapist, a pregnancy and postpartum fitness coach, and a mama of two. As a long-term lover of movement, Surabi is passionate about helping moms discover their strength and confidence in their postpartum bodies while navigating common symptoms like pain, diastasis recti or mummy tummy, pelvic organ prolapse or incontinence, which is leaking. She works with clients across the world on a one-to-one basis and also offers her signature small group postpartum return to exercise program, PrEP, for new moms. She believes in joyful movement and letting go of perfectionism and mom guilt and focusing on self-kindness and self-care. So thank you so much, Surabi. Tell us a little bit more about who you are at the heart and you know, your story. Like, what's up? (laughs) Thanks, Akisha. (laughs) Wow, that was an amazing intro. I'm just going to have you follow me around and introduce me to people because I I love that. Hype girl. Um, I know. You're my hype girl. (laughs) And, you know, like Takesha says, uh, I'm Surabi Beach and I am a physio, but I, I, it's also tough to introduce yourself because I feel like I'm not tied to any one identity because my identity as a person is so many things beyond my roles as a physio or a coach or a mom, but these are big parts of my identity. And um, who am I as a person? I am. Uh, I love deep conversations. I love um, analyzing situations. Uh, I love working with people and really getting to know them versus just What's your injury? What's your problem? I want to know who you are because when I get to know who you are, I can work better with you and help you achieve your goals. So in the settings that I work in as a physiotherapist, I work one-on-one with my clients. As a coach, I work one-on-one and in small group settings. And even with with my small group clients, I get to know their goals. What kind of activities do you enjoy? What don't you enjoy? Uh, what makes you What makes you happy? What makes you passionate? And how do you take care of yourselves? Because these are questions that I find so crucial in my own life that I've been reflecting on ever since I entered motherhood um, three years ago. And I feel like motherhood has really transformed me in a big way. It's forced me to Um, take a look at my own life and see where I have room to grow and where I have room to change and flourish. And I feel like this is a huge transformation, transformational time in so many people's lives. And which is why I love working with people in that journey themselves. So, I mean, yeah, there's a little kind of brief summary. I'm based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And so I've been a physiotherapist for 10 years. I've been a coach more recently since I became a mom. And because of 
you know, the circumstances over the past year and a half with the pandemic, I have transitioned to virtual care. And I've noticed that the outcomes are amazing virtually because people are, um, they're ready to do the work. They're more ready to do the work. When they're coming to see you in person, it's a little bit more expectation of hands-on care, mm. which isn't bad, which yeah. can can still be healing, but that's not going to be the work that actually gets them feeling better um, in the long run. So I find that it's a really good, it's a good thing for me and it's a good thing for many of our professions is that uh, the pandemic has sped up this process of virtual care, which means we can reach people in different parts of the the province, the country, and the world. Yeah, I love that. So what brought you to wanting to do this work? Was it motherhood or were you already, you know, a physio before you became a mom? Tell me a little bit about your origin story as it relates to the work you do. Awesome. So I, this is funny. So since I was a kid, I've been very uh, caring. Um, You know, my dad grew up with, my dad has asthma and whatnot. And I remember waking up at night and my mom would be like rubbing his back or patting his back because he'd be having these coughing fits. And so I'd wake up and help her. And so I've always been this kind of very interested in the human body. Um, And all of my female cousins, like, you know, Indians become doctors. Like that's the thing, right? And so they just automatically thought I'd go into medicine. And I was like, I'm not really into the, like, I totally respect doctors and stuff, but I'm not really into just like prescribing medications for everything or like assuming that people are coming to me because they're already sick and diseased, right? I wanted to help people really live better quality of lives. So in high school, we did this tour to a rehabilitated rehab center, um, not for addictions, but more for physical injuries. And I met a bunch of amazing people with spinal cord injuries and brain injuries, and they were in wheelchairs and they were learning to move again in whatever capacity they could. And physiotherapists were there to help them regain uh, whatever physical abilities that they could. And I was amazed. I was like, wow, these people are making a huge difference in their, they're changing these people's lives by helping them achieve these things. And so I knew in high school, I wanted to be a physiotherapist. And I thought back then that I wanted to work with people with spinal cord injury. But then when I got into physiotherapy school, I found my passion for orthopedics. Orthopedics is just, um, you know, muscle and joint injuries. Mm -hmm. So neck pain, shoulder injuries, knee injuries, um, the whole body, um, less so from a neurological perspective. So less so of those brain injuries and the spinal cord injuries. And so I totally changed course during physio school. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to be a sports medicine, orthopedics, physio. I did all of my training. I did, uh, I have my master's in physiotherapy in Canada. It's a master's, not a doctorate, but it's essentially the same degree. And then I got a second master's in advanced advanced clinical um, orthopedics and manipulative therapy. So I do all their like chiropractic, we call it chiropractic adjustments, but in physio terms, they're manipulations. So I, I've trained to do all of that. And then over the years, I realized I don't really need to crack people's backs to get them to feel better. Like that's not what's getting them feeling better. It's it's my brain. It's the way I work with people, the way I interact with people, the education that I can provide for them and the empowerment that I can show them that their bodies are not actually broken, that they're not damaged goods because they have an injury. Um, and so over the course of you know my career, I transitioned the way I practiced. And But it wasn't until I became a mom that I developed this deep interest for pelvic health. Mm. And There are pelvic health physiotherapists who do all the internal work. You know, they check internally. But I I didn't want to go about it that way. I wanted to approach it, again, from a quality of life perspective. You have a baby. You may have experienced injuries. Your body looks different. But it doesn't mean that you're not as good as you were before. It doesn't mean that you can't be as active. It doesn't mean you can't be as strong, as beautiful. And so I I really transitioned my care because of my own motherhood experience. And what happened to me after I had my my daughter three years ago is I went from being very active, you know, very um, independent to then suddenly experiencing pelvic organ prolapse and a huge diastasis, which I'm a tiny person, I'm short. I knew this was going to happen because I had a huge baby bump. So your abs naturally split when you have uh, a baby. And that's normal part of pregnancy and postpartum, it heals. And for some people, it heals better. And for others, it doesn't heal as well. 
And back then I thought, oh, my, my diastasis didn't heal. This means my body's weak and it's not a good healer and this is, this is it. And unfortunately, I'd also seen a pelvic physiotherapist back then who had kind of enabled those thoughts as well. Is like, oh, this is, this is it, you know. Um, we didn't discuss my goals once. They, she treated me like every other postpartum person, like as if we all have the same goals, like we all have the same beginnings and ends, but we don't. We are all unique people. Yes, we all have ch- babies, but we all have our own activities that we enjoy. I used to cross-country ski competitively. I used to run track. Uh, I wow, swim. I didn't know I that. You're run. so athletic. <laughs> I'm, the funny thing is I wasn't always athletic because I grew up in India where girls aren't encouraged to be like sporty. I did dance, but it wasn't until I moved to Canada when I was 10 that I was like, wait a second, I can like run in gym class and like play all these sports. And so hand-eye coordination isn't my thing. Like I, team sports – you don't want me on your team unless it's just like running around. <laughs> but like all of the solo sports, I really liked because I was like, hey, if I work hard at this, I can get good at this. And there's not that like team pressure. Like I don't do well with like that pressure of like, pass me the ball. Otherwise, like, yeah, you know. So I really found my own passions. And I found I find that when you're working with someone, you do have to ask them those questions. Um, and those weren't asked to me. My goals of returning to running or jumping or rock climbing never happened. I, I just thought because of my prolapse, which for those who don't know is essentially when your pelvic organs like your bladder or your rectum or your uterus kind of push into your vaginal wall, which occurs in 50% of vaginal births. It's pretty common. But yet when it happens to you and you're the physio and you're supposed to be, you think you're supposed to be immune to all this, mm-hmm. um, it's very, it's it's shocking, right? It, it kind of mentally and emotionally played uh, a big role in my postpartum experience, kind of being very ang- anxiety ridden. Yeah. Uh, I was constantly anxious about my symptoms. I felt people would look at me and say, oh my gosh, you bounced back. Like I, you know, how do you lose all the weight? And I'm like, listen, I didn't try. It's just my body. It's my genetics. But they didn't know what was going on inside. So I felt like an imposter. I was like, wow, everyone thinks I'm like fit again. And I can't even go for a run because I'm terrified something's going to fall out of my vagina. Yeah. And so these are the unseen symptoms that a lot of people experience. And back then I thought I was alone in this because nobody talks about it. None of my friends talked about it. Um, There's this shame and stigma that we associate with you know, pelvic issues or anything internal, like mental health too, right? It's like you if you can't visually see it, people assume it's not a thing. But it is a thing. And all of these things play such an impact in motherhood that, you know, back before I had kids, I'd, I, I used to wonder, I'm like, why are all these moms like having kids and then they're just like getting lazy? Like that was my attitude. I was like, why aren't they just working out? Like, People would come in and say, I used to be a competitive dancer or like I used to be a soccer player and like now I don't do anything. And I, it was a shock to me because I'm like, this is such a different identity that you have. You used to be an athlete and now you're not. And even if you didn't compete, maybe you went to yoga three times a week and you did Zumba and you did spinning or kickboxing and now you're doing nothing. And I think if we if we just assume it's because people are lazy, that's wrong. We have to yeah. understand the mother. We have to There's understand what's going story. in her head. Yeah. There's a deeper story behind it all. Um, and that's the work that I think when you do that work, when you as a professional, when you work hard at getting to know your clients, getting to know what's going on in their lives, you have much better outcomes and relationships with them. Yeah. So I love that. And also, so – you said a lot there and it made me think about so many different questions that I want to ask you. For one, I really wanted to know, I mean, you talked about early on when you were in your studies before you kind of changed um, directions in your focus um, about how a lot of the work was very hands-on. A lot of the learning was very hands-on. And now that we're in this online world, if there is a mom who hears herself kind of in this experience, like, oh my God, yeah, that's me. Um, But she's wondering, like, one, this whole concept may be new to her. So, like, when I had my son almost eight years ago, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as, like, pelvic floor physical therapy or um, any kind of support that would help me with um, incontinence that I was experiencing or diastasis. Like, I just thought, like, I guess now I'm just broken. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm (laughs) a mom. I chose this life, right? I guess (laughs) this is just what I, you know, this is the cost for wanting to be a mother, yeah. And um, so if someone is very new to this concept, but they're wondering, how does this translate to virtual work? Like, how can she help me when mm-hmm. 
I'm not in the same space as her where she can see my body or put her hands on me or, you know, give me, you know, real specific guidance in, in person. Like what, what does that look like for someone and how does that, how does your work still translate in a virtual environment? That's an excellent question. So I think it comes down to trust. I trust I trust you. I trust your body. I trust that your bo- I trust that you can get it. So that's I think the first thing. When we step back, when we go to hands-on, when we go to when I was doing hands-on physiotherapy, people would come in, I would ask them all the same questions that I would do virtually. How are you feeling? You know, what's have you gone back to running? How did your knee feel? But then they would lie down on the plinth, the bed, and I would do manual therapy. So I'd work on their joints or their muscles. I'd do acupuncture. I would do uh, different types of muscle release, maybe nerve gliding. And all of these strategies work. They're, they're great strategies. And then I would have like five minutes left in the session to give them exercises. And so let's say they come to see me for one 30-minute session once a week. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes is not enough to change your life. But what you're going to learn in those 30 minutes, if you Let's say we didn't do any hands-on care and it was all me educating you on how to move your body. You can take that and you can repeat that throughout the week because it's yours. Mm -hmm. It's now your body knows how to do those movements. So when I watch people, I use my observation and I can see, I can do a diastasis self-check. I can teach you how to do one. So you can measure your own gap. You can measure your own depth and you can see how your abs feel when you do an exercise. I trust your body. So I don't think you need me to hold your hand and hold your pelvis as you do a squat because I trust that you're already bending over and picking up your baby and that you're already getting up off the toilet or getting up from a chair, which means you're essentially squatting. I think that in a lot of medical professionals, physiotherapy included, it's a very patriarchal model. Like, no, you need me to show you everything because you're doing it wrong. And you need me to teach you exactly how to squat because whatever way you're doing it must be the wrong way. Like, uh oh, your knee went a little bit past your toes. Oh, that's wrong. And so there's this excessive amount of cueing and correcting. And it just makes women feel, not just women, it makes everyone feel that their bodies are that much broken. So they become more dependent on the practitioner, which can work great for business because that person keeps coming back to see you because they think they need you. Yeah. But I don't want I don't codependency. Codependence. Yeah. And I don't want people to need me. I want people to come to me because I simplify life for them. I I design their workouts. I tell them exactly what to do so they don't have to think about it. I give them feedback. I don't want people to come to see me because, you know, they're dependent on me for years. Because I I trust that you're an independent person that is very capable, that your body is very capable and that I don't think that becoming a mother um, has changed that. I think if anything, becoming a mother strengthens your body, even though if you're in the thick of it, you may not feel like it's at sometimes. Uh, but your body is stronger than ever before. You created a life, yeah. you know. It's 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 amazing that we do that. But yet, so many of us put ourselves down afterwards. We think our bodies are inadequate. When you just go back and think about every single thing your body is doing, it's amazing. Yeah, like. Uh, six weeks at four weeks postpartum, a mom is still healing her uterus. She's potentially still healing from scars. She's potentially producing breast milk. She's sleep deprived. You know, she her relationships probably have changed. She's experiencing mood swings. There's so many things that your body is making it through. So if you're someone who is experiencing leaking or prolapse, or you know your abs look different. Just know that when you're early on in the thick of it, your body is busy doing other work and that it will come time when your body is now healing from your diastasis and your prolapse, but it takes time. And if you're just sitting and waiting for it to get better on its own, sometimes it will, but many times if it doesn't, that's not your destiny. It doesn't mean that that's it. You can receive support and that will fast track your your progress. Like I I ran a postpartum return to exercise program, which you mentioned, PrEP. And it's an eight-week program designed for new moms, ideally earlier postpartum, but anyone who's within two years postpartum, who's still kind of early on. And I teach them how to connect with their core and pelvic floor and move their bodies in different ways and strengthen their whole body. Because there's this assumption that pregnancy and postpartum only has an impact on our pelvic floor. Like we're obsessed with pelvic, right? Mm -hmm. But it's your whole body. And that's where I bring in my expertise as an orthopedic physio. 
because I know my moms, they have neck pain, they have wrist, their mommy thumbs, they have knee pain from squatting. They they have all of these other issues in their body. I got too. tennis elbow when I had my See? son from carrying oh, that, I remember that ridiculous carrier. Yes. <laughs> <It's> so heavy. <laughs> the car seat and like we're not used to doing these things before yeah. you have a baby and suddenly all day you're doing that. So I, I understand the whole body, not just from a pelvic perspective. It's I understand kind of that full full picture. So um, yeah, I give people exercises, a lot of education because a lot of people are inadvertently making their situations worse. Like people with neck pain will keep stretching their neck thinking that's what they need and it's the opposite. They need to strengthen. Mm. And so every day they're doing something to harm them but they don't know that. And so even just having one or two sessions with an expert can help give you that knowledge and that education that you need. So you're not constantly making yourself, uh, getting in the way of yourself and getting in the way of yourself healing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So it sounds like in the work that you do, you really work a lot on mindset because there is this, you know, this cultural, um, you know, idea that we, totally embody from the time we're little girls that our body isn't our own. We don't know how it works. We need someone else to tell us, usually a man, how Mm -hmm. it works and what to do with it. And, you know, should we be believed if we say this is how we feel or this is happening? Um, Which is why I think a lot of women, you know, don't really talk about the fact that, you know, you push out a baby out of your vagina or even when you have a cesarean, you can still experience incontinence. No one really talks about that. Like, oh, well, I, I pee when I sneeze. I guess this is just it. And no, like, I never heard anyone having those conversations. As many times as I've been to a trampoline park, it never mm-hmm. dawned on me that there weren't as many moms jumping on the trampolines with their kids. They were just kind of like, you know, manning the cupcake table or, yeah. you know, like whatever. Well, and I think that comes from that there's a social and cult- cultural expectation that once you're a mom, you've got to be boring. And oh, like, yeah. I'm going to say hands down, I'm the fun one in like my partnership with my husband. Like I am way more fun. I'm the fun mom, but like, I don't want to be on the sidelines, like watching my kids. Like I want to get in the pool with them. I want to get into the playground and play with them. And, but there's this expectation that it's only like dads that do that. And if you're at a trampoline park, you've got to be chit-chatting and gossiping with the ladies and watching your kids play. And so I think there's a social expectation that moms can't be involved with physical play. Once you're a mother, you don't want to be bouncing. Oh, you might have fat jiggling. That's not a, you know, that's not a good thing. It's yeah. true, right? Or yeah, like you want to, you want to look pretty, you want to wear a dress and you can't jump in a dress. Yes, you can jump in whatever you're wearing. And, but if you can't, because you have symptoms, that's a different story. And that is a very, it's actually a quite easy fix. It's not like a, everyone thinks it's like, oh God, I'm going to need surgery to put my organs back. And you don't, you know, it's, it's, understanding how your body works because yeah. it was either never taught to you or like you said, you were told from a young age that your body was wrong, that even like thinking about your period, you have to hide it. You mm-hmm. have to like hide your tampons. tampons. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> like, and you, we all knew like girls are going to the bathroom. You're like tucking it in under, underneath your waistband, <laughs> pulling it out. You're sneaking it out of your backpack, looking around. It's like, it just is absurd. 50% of the population gets their menstrual cycle, but yet we hide it. Yeah. And the wrappers sound like candy. So it just seems like the biggest joke ever. So (laughs) I know it's, it is a bit. And the thing is then we're told, oh, you have your period. You better be on the birth control pill to regular, regulate it. Oh, you have acne. You better be on this to regulate it. You need medication. You need, we're always needing to be fixed. We need to be fixed. And so postpartum, oh, you have incontinence. Ooh, you need to like, I don't, that's the thing is the philosophy that I hold is you don't come to me because you need to be fixed, right? I'm not fixing you. I am help enabling, enabling you to heal yourself, to maximize and optimize your body's capacity to heal. Does that mean that every single person is going to be fully pain-free and never leak? No, because our, our bodies are human. We're all different. Some of us will always have a pelvic organ prolapse that's symptomatic and we may need something like a pessary, which is like an internal device, but that's okay. We wear sports bras, we can wear pessaries. So yeah. I, I show people options in a non-threatening and non-fear-inducing way because I I know fear would work better. Like if I was marketing with fear, if I was using that language, I know that I would probably get more clients because people are – fear works, fear yeah. sells. But 
I don't believe in inducing more fear. I really strongly believe that women have enough fear going into pregnancy and postpartum and motherhood, and they already shame and guilt themselves and judge themselves enough that I don't want to be adding to that as a healthcare professional. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and you know, and my my background is in marketing, and so I can totally testify to the fact that fear is used, you know, to get people to take action, right? And I love, I mean. Listener, if you don't know who Suterbi is on Instagram, follow her. Her content is so amazing. Um, and there was something that she posted recently that um, you were swimming. You were like swimming laps back and forth in the pool. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, it, Even though I myself work in this wellness space with moms, I, I often forget for myself even like, oh, I used to love to swim. Like, And never really dawned on me to return to something after being out of practice for so long. Um, and I just, I love that you encourage your clients and your audience to like live their lives outside of, you know, quote unquote, just being a mom. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I love that you are the mom that wants to jump in there to be, because to be quite honest, I like, it is my worst nightmare to do the small chit chat next to the trampoline. Exactly. I, I don't want to be bored. <laughs> I would rather jump on the trampoline and play with the kids and jump in the pool with all my clothes on. Like I am fully prepared to be the mom who embarrasses my kid. I already do it on social media. I'm here for it. Um, so, and you know what? I think that kids need to see that. Like yeah. you have a boy. I have a girl and a boy. And I think especially my son needs to see that. Women are not for like sitting on the sidelines looking pretty. Women are whole humans. And so that's why – I felt weird even creating my business about mother like, to help moms because I'm like, I'm not defined by motherhood. Like I'm not mm -hmm. defined by my role as a mom, but I don't think you have to be because so many people are moms and they feel shame about not, you know, that not ruling their life, that they're not thinking about their kids 100% of the time, that they're thinking about maybe their business or their work or their vacation with their girlfriends, or they're thinking about like going first swim later or like whatever else that they're thinking about or like the sale online or whatever, right? And I think that we need to normalize that because guess what? Dads aren't thinking about their kids 100% of the time. They're, they're going back. They're not. And they're like, I think we can learn a lot from the privilege that has been afforded to men and we can reclaim that. Yeah. No one's going to give it to – no one's going to encourage that. Even fellow women, your grandmothers, your aunties, like they might not encourage you to do that because – they didn't have that. And that's their mental picture of what a mother is. So you may feel judged in your family or your social circles if you're that different one who's like, but I still want something deeper. Because I'll tell you, like in – it's romanticized, right? Like the mother the mother who like is looks perfect, put together all the time, has these big – you know, bakes everything from scratch, invites the kids' friends over, pours them their lemonade and like – stays out of the way. Like that is like my worst nightmare. Oh my like gosh. I can't even, I can't, I can't do that. And I know that some people Same. truly enjoy that and I'm <laughs> yeah. saying great, but yeah. I don't think awesome. most people do. Most people do not enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that external feedback, I don't need my kids to compliment my baking skills because I know it's good. Like yeah. I don't need my kids' friends to be like, oh my God, your mom makes the best food because I know, wait, actually don't make the best food. So if they compliment me on that, I'd be surprised. But do you know what I mean? Like I yeah. think as women, we live for external validation from strangers, from like our kids, our you know partners or friends. But I think going back to like when I work with clients too, I ask them, what, what do you think about your body and yeah. why? So a lot of people have this deep shame about their physical body and, and their appearance postpartum. And I think it's just because we don't see it enough. We don't see it on billboards. We don't see stretch marks. We don't see cellulite, loose skin. We don't see like Audi belly buttons like I have now with my diastasis and my umbilical hernia. I've never seen that on like a billboard with a model because they're yeah. like 15 year old and a lot of them are white. A lot of them are very thin. And so if you don't fit that picture, which like majority of people don't, you're in, you're just destined to feel bad about your body. Yeah. So I'm, and I'm curious. that's wrong. Yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm curious how much of the time, so I know, you know, with your group program in that eight weeks, how much of that time is spent, you know, kind of helping and giving these moms permission to like fully, you know, show up for themselves and to not stifle those, those parts of themselves that existed 
you know, for longer periods of, of time than they have been a mom? Like how much time do you spend on that? Um, do you find that that is a common obstacle for people or is it a surprise for them to even realize that they're kind of defaulting to always thinking about their kids or feeling guilty about even focusing on their bodies? I think so. I think most people, when they come to work with me, they already know that they don't like what they're doing. Like they don't like self-sacrificing, especially for the moms who have like, if they're fresh, they don't, like if they're first time mom with like a six week old, they're still like early on. They haven't developed into that like role of martyring. But for the moms that I work with who are a little bit further on and they've realized, I don't like this. I don't like that I have done nothing for myself. I don't like that I get no breaks. I don't get joy right? We talk about this every week over those eight weeks. I give them little homework assignments. We talk about things. So I do a workout for the first half hour and then the second hour or a half hour or so is spent talking, educating about injuries. So I give them like actual strategies, but we also do a lot of like um, mindset work and I give them challenges. I'm like, okay, what's your why? Why do you want to exercise? Because if you don't know why you want to exercise and you just think you should, then you won't do it. But if you know that you're like, I love swimming, that's why I want to do it. I want to go back to swimming. It brought me so much joy. Then when you're feeling unmotivated, then when you're like, oh, but my kid needs me, you can go back to your why and be like, yeah, but I still want to do that. And in order to do that, I need to do this now. And going back to that big picture. And I also give assignments on like self-care. I'm like, okay, this week, I want you to do something for yourself that brings you joy at least once. Because most people are used to doing it zero times a week. So if I tell them to do it every day, it's overwhelming. So it depends on the person. Some people are ready to hear it. And other people, you can sense more resistance because the messaging they've heard that they've grown up with by their mothers and their grandmothers and their aunts and their friends is that that is selfish. And, you know, I grew up in an Indian culture where it is very patriarchal, right? Like my family's, my mom did all the cooking and the cleaning and the household work and is self-sacrificing. And to this day, we take advantage of that because she will do things for us. But then that's not fair because women are toiling and, you know, working all day and their joy is being diminished. And I think that we need to remember that we were those little kids. Like I think about my kids and, you know, I talk, I talk a little bit about it moving with intuition too. Like mm-hmm. I, I love watching how my kids, they don't sit still. They're just squatting and crawling and climbing and running and then and how stopping. Old are your kids? My, I have a three-year-old, three and a bit, and I have a 10, um, soon to be 11 month old. And he is, he started walking around nine, nine and a half months. He Holy cow. Early. Oh wow. yeah. He like literally dashes around the place and is constantly moving because that's what he likes to do. And so, and the thing is I I find interesting is he's a boy and he moves more. And my my daughter, she naturally wasn't like a, didn't move early and she naturally preferred more sedentary activities. So I really focus on encouraging her to move because I know that he will be encouraged through school to to climb and the culture is ready for him. him. And I try to, read him, read to him because he just does not want to read books. And by this age, she was sitting and reading books from like she was five months. But now that I have two, I can see that perspective that it wasn't because I parented her to read. It's because she naturally gravitated towards that, which is good. I'm still going to encourage those like her strengths, but I also want to make sure that she gets that physical exercise for her mind and her body. So she feels strong and confident. So if anybody says, oh, you're ugly, you're fat, you're thin, you're whatever, She's just like, whatever, like your opinions of me don't matter because I can still do all of these things. I'm still capable. I can still do what I want. And I think a lot of, I see it in the schoolyards too. Like as soon as a girl hits like 10, 11, like tween age, they stop playing in the playgrounds. They're like, they stand around gossiping, like the same thing that moms do at trampoline parks, right? It's like, they're just, this. it's it's not because they want to do that, but that's what's culturally accepted, right? Yeah, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating when you can kind of notice those like natural inclinations or like what they gravitate to. Like I was the mom of the little boy and I would like try to buy him dolls and trucks. Like, let's see, let's play with both. And he still always wanted to like crash the doll into the truck. And no matter <laughs> no matter how hard I tried, like I want to hone his, you know, his sensitivities because I knew the world would be ready for him. 
to be aggressive and exactly. athletic. And yeah. um, and what's interesting is that he's not very athletic at all, and he's <laughs> super sensitive. But he oh, also that's good. Yeah, but he also moves a lot. Um, ah. Just like the in, he has the energy level, and so needing to find things to keep him stimulated when he's not into sports is interesting. Um, and you, that's what you just said there is so key though, because a lot yeah. of people are like that. Yeah. Even though you're not athletic, you may play zero sports. You may not like any sport, but you still got to move. So yeah. some moms will be like, I don't like to exercise. And I'm like, well, what do you define as exercise? When we redefine movement or we, when we redefine exercise to just movement, it takes away that pressure of like, oh, I need to do this 45-minute workout for it to count. Yeah. Well, you alluded to intuitive movement and I, you know, to that point, like where a lot of women don't think of their everyday things as an opportunity for movement. Can you kind of speak to that? Like what, what are things that we might overlook that we're doing naturally every day that count as, you know, useful movements in, you know, the postpartum period? So in the postpartum period, beyond those, especially those first six weeks, you, Everything you're doing can be exercise. You're carrying your baby. Well, let's add a little mini shrug. So bring your shoulders up and back. So now your shoulder blade muscles are working. You may be able to hold that position for 30 seconds and that's okay. That's one rep, right? You just did one rep. So you do that again when you ref- when your muscles recover and then that's your second rep. So a lot of people actually think they have to set aside special time for self-care, for exercise. That may not work in your lifestyle now. And that's what I, I didn't discover till I became a mom. That's when I realized all those exercises I was giving my moms, that's why they weren't doing them. They just could not fit it in, you know? Mm. I, and there's two reasons for that. There's the first is the self-sacrificing, not taking time for yourself, where they're constantly doing stuff for others. And then there's two, that their lives are genuinely really busy. Yeah. So if I can show you ways to incorporate movement, when you're sitting down for your da- your work day, you're sitting down at your desk, before you sit down, you do 10 squats. When you get up to go pee, you do 10 squats. Drink more water so you're getting up to go pee more right? A lot of people are not drinking water throughout the day. So Mm -hmm. little habit changes like that. When you go up the stairs, be intentional about it. Do it three times. So you're not just going up the stairs once to just get it over with. You go up, come back down, go up, come back down, go up, come back down. So that's you, that counts as movement. You do not need to set aside 45 minutes. And I'll tell you right now, I'm, I'm still 10 and a half months postpartum. So I'm still quite early. Uh, in the grand scheme of life, but I'm a lot stronger now because I seek out opportunities to move. Just before I got on this call, I did 20 squats. And 20 doesn't sound like a lot, but I got my heart rate up. My legs kind of felt it by the end. And that's 20 more squats than I would have done otherwise. Yeah. So we we get in our mindset, we think it's all or nothing. We wait for perfect, right? Perfect opportunities to move. Perfect time. You wait to feel energetic. You're not going to feel energetic in early postpartum Mm -hmm. because you're sleep deprived and there's a lot of big emotions and physical changes. But it doesn't mean that just because of all those things that you need to just rest and lie down at every opportunity, it still means or you can still move. And so I never encourage people to just like wake up at 4 a.m. and like give up rest and give up sleep to exercise. No. I encourage you to, when you're already awake, when you're already doing things, when you're at the kitchen counter, you can do some countertop push-ups, put your hands against the counter and do some angled push-ups. So that's still getting your back and your core working. So squats, deadlifts are another great one. So deadlift is where your kind of knees are slightly bent and you're hinging at your hips. So instead of picking things up, picking up your children's toys like a million times a day, bending from your back, you're actually just hinging at your hips. I had one of my clients, one of my prep mamas, she counted, she deadlifted 78 times in one day. Wow. Just not by doing it, in te- like not by doing it as an exercise, yeah, just, as part just of- from day to day. Wow. She's like, yeah, I counted. I'm like 78. I'm like, I don't doubt that because like you drop a sock, you pick up a toy, you pick up your kid, you you pick up your laundry basket and every t- single time, I, I, that's what I teach people is how to do it to use to get the maximum kind of boost out of it. So you're getting your bigger glutes, your stronger hamstrings, all of those muscles, you know, how people postpartum, they end up with like a mom butt where it just like flattens out or gets super weak. So sad. I had that after my first and I assumed that was just all moms, but that was because I wasn't exercising enough because my physio just gave me like basic bridges and like Kegels, right? Right. Kegels are not – 
No, this is postpartum. Postpartum. Yeah. During pregnancy, it makes sense. Your butt does change because of the center of mass changes and everything. But postpartum, it should, as you strengthen, it should come back. But if it's not, a lot of people just assume, oh, it's because I'm a mom now. Yeah. You know, when I, when I had my son, I, um, I think I just kind of instinct, like I was also an athlete throughout school and all of that. And I was very aware that I, I kind of took note during my pregnancy, like, wow, I feel like if I had done this intentionally, my back should have been stronger. Oh, I noticed that my core is pretty strong. My back is not very strong. My hip flexors are not very strong. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my glutes aren't as strong as I thought they would be. And so if someone, you know, there might be, there might be different levels of listener, but say someone is pregnant listening right now and they're wondering, okay, is there anything I can do right now to prepare my body for, you know, a postpartum, like for a prep program, you know, once Absolutely. I'm, you know, six weeks postpartum, what, what can they possibly do now in their pregnancy? So I think I would eventually I'd love to see more pregnant clients because that's a magic window where you can start working on those mindset shifts because during pregnancy, you're exhausted, you're nauseous. Um, some people feel great and for them like amazing, but most people have some element of exhaustion or fatigue and early on they have nausea and they have body changes. So body image changes. Some people don't like gaining all the weight. Some people mm. love it because they they finally feel like they can gain it all without judgment. So start working on a working on all of those mindset pieces is getting in movement and being okay that it's a little bit less than what you're used to because a little bit is better than zero. So usually with my pregnant clients, I say strong glutes are a must. So bridges, clamshells are like the basic versions, but step-ups, squats, and deadlifts are a must because guess what? Postpartum, you're going to be picking up that newborn who's like seven, eight pounds, and they're going to, they're going to gain, gain weight fast. And you might think that's nothing. I can easily dumbbell. I can, I can lift up 20 pounds, no problem. But you're going to, you're not used to doing it all day mm-hmm. versus you're with your newborn. You're like holding them all day yeah. and sometimes through the night. So really strengthening up, not just your legs, but your upper body, your neck and your shoulders, your shoulder blades. So doing those rows and those reverse flies and those shrugs, the overhead press. So all of those exercises I teach my pregnant clients because you can safely do all of those exercises during pregnancy and that will help to lead you to better postpartum outcomes. I think there's this mistake during pregnancy that it's not pregnant people's fault. It's just how we are. We focus so much on the birth experience, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like the orgasm of like pregnancy and postpartum, right? Everyone focuses on that, but like you, you have to prep your body for that too. You have mm-hmm. to be, your mindset has to be there. Your physical body has to be ready. You, you can't just be so focused on like the, the day of, because that's just one day. How you do, how your body does during childbirth doesn't determine how your postpartum experience goes. Yeah. It's, it's everything, right? It's even pre-pregnancy. Have you been chronically constipated? Are you a high stress person who clenches their butt all day or a sucks in your core all day because you're trying to shrink yourself. Those are habits that we need to change because that's yeah. not going to lead to strong core. It's not going to lead to strong stuff. bodies. Yeah. Huge mindset stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't – people, when you talk about mindset, sometimes people are like, eh, that's fluff, right? Yeah, but that's the, that, yeah. yeah, that's the actual work that needs to happen and which is why I still market my postpartum return to exercise program as an exercise program because it is. I show them all this. But it's equally a mindset program. So it is – everyone comes out of – everyone who comes out of it is so much um, – is able to be better in touch with their own body more intuitively. They're not scared of their body anymore. They feel more empowered. I'm not saying that I'm going to cure their years of negative body image in eight weeks because some people still need therapy to address, you know, deep-rooted shame. But they start to accept that who they are now is just as capable and worthy and beautiful as who they were then. And instead of trying to go back, because guess what? You're never going to go back to that old body. Even if you look the same from the outside and your your genes fit the same way, your skin's going to be different, you're older now, like – Let's stop trying to go back to 15-year-old selves. You We're just what? never going to look like that. Now that you now as you're saying that, I would love to know what you think about snapback culture. Um mm-hmm. and how your programming is um 
you know, how it speaks to that or is different from that. I I would love to know, because I I mean, I have my own opinions of, you know, the going back of anything, especially from pregnancy, birth and postpartum. So I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. I think the one, one thing is we devalue so much the mother in our society. Being a mom is so devalued. It's that, why would you ever want to look like a mom? You you have to go back because who you look like now is just gross, right? That's the mm, whole attitude. Yeah. So I remember postpartum after my first, you know, I, I did look the same from the outside, even though my abs were split and whatnot. And one of my friends was like, I just don't want to look like a mom. You know, I want to wear my clothes that I did before. And I'm like, but what does a mom look like? Because like, we're all very different and everyone's so scared to be seen as a mom. But I'm like, you are a mom. There's nothing scary about that. It should bring you joy to be considered a mother. And it's not an insult like, oh, you look like a mom. Like, I think we need to change that whole language around motherhood. Yeah. And then snap back culture it's a diet industry, you know, diet culture. It exists to make you feel bad about yourself because you're making someone else money. And you're not going to, you know, you're hardwired to feel bad about your body. You're not going to undo that with just like one conversation about it. It's a practice. Just like learning a new language is learning to speak and read and write and think in that language. You have to learn to read and write and think in that new language of body acceptance. You don't have to love your body right away, but you can still be grateful for certain parts of it. And let's focus less on body image. Like I don't, I don't even talk about, I don't ask people, how do you feel about your body? Because I know they're going to feel, no one's going to be like, I feel amazing because you're not, you're not taught to, unless you grew up in a family that was very, very progressive, which I wish more families were. But I I take the less or less focus on the looks and more about feel. I'm like, well, how do you feel this week? Everyone will say, I feel so much more energetic now that I've done this workout. I didn't want to do it. I dragged my feet coming here, but I'm so glad I did it. And that's a win because you, every single day that you boost, you know, it's a dopamine hit, right? It's like boosting endorphins. You feel better about yourself. You start to see that your worth is less in how you look and more in how you are as a person. Yeah. And I also think that there's pregnancy and postpartum is a great opportunity to refresh your um, community, <laughs> the people around you. And whether it's family, whether it's friends, you know, you can't delete everybody out of your life, but you can definitely reduce your exposure to some people that are very negative. Uh, for example, I have friends that are very concerned with how they look, but not from like a, they're from a very judgmental way. Like they'll judge somebody else for not wearing a nicer dress to a baby shower or whatever. They'll judge somebody else for wearing something. And I'm like, that's not helpful for me to hear because I don't value, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in judging other people for whatever they're wearing because they're they're independent adults. Mm-hmm. If somebody wants to have full makeup on and worry about their tummy, that's their right to. They can do whatever they want. And I know why they feel that way is because they're socialized too. No one innately, no baby is born innately learning to hide their tummy. Yeah. They're taught to hide their their roles. I mean, they kind and, of stick it out. Like they think it's so fun, especially if oh, you're yeah. like, oh, let me see your tummy. Like, yes. Yeah. My kids, my my daughter does it. She'll yeah. raise her shirt at the park and my parents will be like, oh, no, 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 do it. I'm like, it's just a belly. <laughs> Let's stop freaking out. She's three and it's cute. Like, yeah. but like at a certain age, it's not socially accepted to like, your belly's a place of shame. It's a place yeah. to hide. Unless you have a six pack, right? But like, let me tell you, most women do not have six packs. We have body fat and we, that's okay. That's normal. Like it's normal to not have a six pack. If you're training, if you're an athlete, of course you might have one, but most people don't have the desire to be pro athletes or like train hard. So if you want that balance of just being an active person, but you also want that balance to like relax on the weekends and eat out and not exercise seven days a week, then we need to have these conversations postpartum, right? And I encourage daily movement daily movement I encourage, but I don't encourage daily exercise. So you you might go for a walk one day, you might do 10 squats, that's daily movement. But I don't want you to do 30 to 45 minutes of dedicated strength training seven days a week or anything, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's almost like we want a positive relationship with exercise that a lot of women don't grow up with. They think exercise is for changing their physical appearance. For me, it never has been. And I have the privilege because I was thin. I never had – I always tried to bulk up. I was trying to look jacked and like I'm 
I never will. Like it's just not my body type. Even when I was at my strongest, I still looked just tiny. And so I never had that pressure to be smaller. And now after my second baby, I am like a lot bigger than I was before. I've gone up many, many sizes. And now I'm realizing that like it still bugs me, but it doesn't bug me as much as somebody who has grown up their entire lives being called too big or having too much fat. Mm. So I still have that privilege. I can say I don't – it doesn't bother me as much because I, I grew up with that privilege. And I know – I think I need to recognize that not everybody has that. Some people – I remember one of my clients saying like, everyone's talking about going back to their old body. She's like, I'm already in my old body and my old body was always bigger. So like what now, right? I'm like, right. exactly. Right. Exactly. That's why I never push the going back. Um, you know, because where you are, when even if you did get back, where you were when you get back, when you went back to that, if you're not happy with that, or if you are perfectly normal and if you look perfectly fine, but society's telling you that that's wrong, then what? Yeah. So there's so many um, in my on my page on Instagram on my business. I never talk about um, exercising for weight loss, even though a lot of clients will come to me and they'll say, "I want to get stronger and I wouldn't mind losing weight," and I say, "Okay, that's fine." That's one of your goals. Uh, I'm not here to give you diets or, you know, specific food or anything. I, I'm a non-judgmental person. I just need to know that because then I know your mindset and I also know what's driving you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I ask what's your why, if they're saying weight loss, I might not be the best fit for them. Right. But if they're saying I want to get back to like feeling like myself in my body, I want to get back to feeling like not that motherhood didn't ruin me. Like that's that I can work with. But yeah. if pure weight loss is your goal, I really think that you need to dig deeper a little bit first before you're ready to really embrace movement for joy, movement for intuition uh, or intuitive movement um, because your kids aren't moving to change their body. They're moving because it's fun. Like we need to remind our bodies that movement is actually joyful and fun. When we're doing things we hate, you're never going to want to do it. Very true. I I, I love how the work you do sounds so accessible and then also safe, like not safe just in a physical, um, from a physical perspective, but just safe emotionally where, you know, these new moms can come and exist in a place that isn't about looking at the next mom's body or trying to get to, you know, you know, I've seen some postpartum coaches modeling their own body. Like you can look like this. I know. I see that too. And I'm like, listen, you're just thin and fit. Like that's your natural body type. You didn't work for that. Trust me. When I lost all that weight after my first, I was two days postpartum. I was back to my pre-baby weight. People would ask me what my secret was. I'm like, literally, I'm just thin and this is my genetics. Yeah. But if I marketed that as like, here, do what I did, that's that would be a lie. But again, that works. Again, people works. buy the into people that. People are doing it. Yep. People, people are, doing are doing it. it. And people are seeing it and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I must also look like that. But also I want you, listener, if this is you, to recognize that the people who are doing this, that's also their job. So like yeah. they work out for a living and so, of course, if that's what you do for a living, your body's going to look a little bit different. You might look a lot more ripped because you're maybe working with 10 clients a day or filming videos and you're working out way more than the average person. Um, and so I think it's so important for us to have realistic expectations and really work on that mindset and um, prioritizing joy and feeling good in our body, like you said, um, as, as like the, the, the catalyst or even like the, the measure for how we're doing, um, in our postpartum bodies. Um, cause I'll tell you, none of my clients who have reported like, oh yeah, I wouldn't mind losing weight too. When I yeah. ask them their goals I, or not their goals, when I ask them how they feel, they report so many other things. They're like, I feel my abs again. And not like visually, I can feel them again. Yeah. Like you feel that they're firm and you feel your legs and you feel like I can climb stairs more easily. I can chase after my kids. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, like, but how do I get in movement without it being like regimented? Mm-hmm. Next time you're taking your kids to the park, play when you're Play when your kids play. When your kids play, that's your playtime. So find some ways at the park, hang from the monkey bars, climb up the stairs, go down the slide. Those are all ways to just move your body. And trust me, you're not going to be thinking about how you look at a children's playground. You're yeah, just going to be trying to true. stuff yourself through that tiny slide. And that's going to make you <laughs> laugh and that's going to bring you joy. And the more you do that, the more little tastes of joy that you give yourself with movement, the better relationship you're going to have with it. And it takes work. It takes practice. It does, it's not an overnight thing. And that's why I 
I find that when I support my clients through it, they're better able to make those changes. I have people who follow me who'll message me. They're like, thank you so much. Like I went climbing for the first time. Like I didn't even think about going until I saw you post about it. Like, oh, I went swimming. Like I forgot how how much I loved swimming. And I think that's the joy of me sharing because it allows people, not that I have to give anyone permission. You have your own, your, you know, but you're providing a new model. You're providing a different model that is different than like, look at my abs and I had a baby 10 months ago. It's like, yeah. look, I'm having fun. You can also have fun even if you've exactly. got one kid or two kids or 10 kids. Yeah. Even if yeah. your belly sticks out in your swimsuit, who cares? Yeah. Like, who cares? Do it. Some Someone might judge you, but like, okay, keep judging. Yeah. Like, yeah. bye. So, you know, and again, I know that that comes from, I can say that because I, I never grew up with the same shame about my uh, – I did grow up with shame about my body because I was too thin and I was constantly made to feel like I was too small. And Mm -hmm. I know that's like not a problem here. But in India, if you're a bit bigger, it's better because it means you have more wealth because you can eat enough. So I grew up with that attitude from my mom always telling me to eat more and eat more. So Mm -hmm. I I get it. Like body shame is a big thing in in female populations worldwide. But I do think that in North America, there's definitely a slim is better approach. And it's very Eurocentric too, right? It's like, I'm not going to look like some people because I'm not that person. Yeah. I mean, it takes a quick trip to the mall to try on a few things in European sizes to realize (laughs) that we're we're, we're built a little bit different, um, at least in this region. First of all, (laughs) I'm not, you know, 5'10", and I don't have like, you know, there's like fat and muscle and like shape to my hips and you know, it's, I also think that's a good conversation. That's a separate conversation is buy clothes that fit you now. Don't wait to shrink back. Don't wait for your body to change. I went through my closet and I put everything away in bins because sometimes when you stop breastfeeding, your body changes again. But out of sight is so good. You you wear the clothes that make you feel good, that are comfortable, that bring you joy. So if you're somebody who's like, I don't want to look like a mom, quote unquote, buy nice clothes that make you feel fun and you know, floral or whatever, but make sure they fit. Make sure they fit your body now. You know, and that's not even just a mom, a pregnant, postpartum, whatever. Like I, I've noticed myself kind of falling into this, like, oh my gosh, my body is so much larger now a year and a half into this pandemic. Oh yeah. And I was trying so hard to squeeze into my favorite jeans and try to put on my tops. And I was like, you know what? I just literally this morning just dropped off a gigantic bag of stuff that I'm like, you know what? I just want to be in a place of accepting my body and finding things that fit me right now. So if that's you where you're like, oh, but I've got to get back to this size, whether you were a mom or not, you know, back to my high school size or my college size or my, you know, my fighting weight, so to speak. Um, how can you appreciate your body right now? And and how can you celebrate your body right now and feel good in the clothes that you're wearing every day? I love that. Yeah. And also like focus on Like when you're busy focusing on other stuff, you have less time to ruminate on your body. So like life is busy enough, right? So it's like I have my business. I have my two kids. I have – now that things are reopening in Toronto, I like I'm trying to plan social things at parks and, you know, out with friends. And – surrounding myself with friends that like we don't playing talk TikToks, about dancing yeah playing tiktoks friends. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. like we don't talk about our bodies yeah and it's not that there's like an unwritten rule but like we just all have different things going on in our lives that are fun so when you hang out with people who have like nothing going on but like to talk about themselves like in that negative self-talk negative shame i think that just says hey you need an opportunity for a hobby or something that brings you joy mm-hmm. because if the happier you are, the less you're going to focus on all that stuff. And every single person, you're so right. It's not just pregnant and postpartum people. Anyone after this pandemic, their bodies have changed. Yeah, You're sitting at home more. That's okay. You know, our bodies are amazing that they're able to change like that and keep us alive a year and a half into such a stressful world situation. Yeah. So totally. we have to appreciate that. Totally. I agree. Oh my gosh, this has been so amazing. I have a couple more questions for you. Sounds good. Um, so, you know, in, in this space that I am attempting to cultivate um, in helping all of us collectively to connect more deeply with our intuition and learn to trust ourselves more, I'm really curious about uh, the practices that you personally lean on when you need to stay with yourself, when you know, maybe things are difficult or you just want to be more present, you know, how do you stay with yourself when life is challenging or you're being called to move out of your comfort zone? 
Mm, that's a that's a really great question, and I think everyone's probably a little different. I can get away. I can get carried away with my future thoughts, my anxiety thoughts of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What if this happens? And like ruminate on the worst case scenarios. This is what I've practiced all my life until more recently where I've really had to challenge why do I think that way? And is that helpful? Does thinking about that ever help me? No, it always just makes me feel worse. And I've always been an introspective person. So I've always either journaled or I've, I think a lot and I like deep conversations. So I like having conversations with friends where we talk about our feelings and this kind of thing. And a lot of my thoughts really, a lot of my clarity comes to me when I am by myself because I am an introvert, when I'm by myself, when I'm moving my body or when I'm outside, if I'm like hiking in nature, if I'm going for a bike ride is one of my favorite things. You can just get that endorphin rush. You feel so far removed from like the stressors of the world and you're just able to think. And that's what I find anyways. It takes me out of that like danger, danger zone and like takes me into more of a joy and calm and relaxed state because thinking about your future or, you know, thinking about going past your comfort zone, you're never going to do it if you're constantly in a feeling of unsafe and danger. So you have to put yourself into situations where you feel safe, whether that's with someone or with yourself. I recommend, I think it should be with yourself because if you're not safe with yourself first, we, we don't need to lean on everybody else. We need to lean on ourselves first. So doing the things that bring you joy, seeing a therapist for some is very helpful mm. to unlearn some of those negative kind of thought patterns. Yeah. Um, and I always just remind myself of the strength of all the times in the past I've done hard things and gotten through it and I've survived. Yeah. And I'm still here and so are you, right? So we have all done extremely difficult things that a lot of people maybe don't know about, right? And we we don't share all of our lives with our social media or our friends or family even. Sometimes those things are things that you go through by yourself. And it's important to remind yourself that you are very strong and capable um, and that the world has your back. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Um. So if someone's listening to this right now and they're like, oh, this sounds amazing. You know, I just had a baby or I'm preparing to have a baby uh, or maybe I've been a mom for six months, six, 10, 11, 12 months. And this sounds like the kind of support that I need. How can people work with you? You know, at the time of this, this podcast will go out, you know, beginning-ish of September. So is there is there a way that people can work with you, whether it be one-on-one or, you, you know, you mentioned your group program. What, what, is, what would be the, the best next step for someone listening? So the best next step is I offer one, one-on-one coaching um, and physiotherapy. They're very similar services. The difference is physiotherapy I can only provide in Ontario because it's a protected registration. But okay. coaching I can provide worldwide. So I do coaching with a lot of my American clients. And it's just a consultation. And I usually book an hour. We talk about your goals. We talk about where you are right now, what's going on in your health, what's going on in your body, where you are. And we design a, an exercise program that meets your goals. And then we meet usually once a week at the beginning. And then eventually we spread it out to kind of every two or three weeks with progressive exercise program. Um, one-to-one coaching works really well for people in pain with specific injuries um, who are having a lot of difficulty um, – incorporating exercise into their life. But for people who are postpartum and who are just getting started in this, my group coaching program works amazingly, my postpartum return to exercise program, because there's also learning to be had in a community setting. When you hear other people share their woes and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm similar and this is how they got through it. And so I find that the community-based approach really, really nice for those who are postpartum, who are closer to like, you know, in that early first couple years. I work with mamas who are five, six, eight years, 10 years postpartum as well. Like they're, they're mothers. And for those, for those women, um, small group coaching doesn't work as well. They have very busy lives with kids and activities and school and stuff. So I find working one-on-one with them works really, really effectively. Um, so you can find me at the passionate physio on Instagram, www.thepassionatephysio.ca. Um, that's my website and it has contact information, has a booking link for a free, uh, complimentary 15-minute discovery call. If you just want to chat and see if 
how I can support you, whether we'd be a good fit. I usually recommend that um, for anyone who's new to me, who isn't already following me on social media and who already kind of knows how I work. Um, and I also have my podcast where I offer tons of um, advice and I help people see what other kinds of services there are to support them. Um, because a lot of t- a lot of the times people just don't know. They don't know that there are people there to help them. And, and what, what's the name of your podcast? Mom Strength. Mom Strength. It's so good. It's it's. I love that you abbreviated uh, most. Most. I love it. I love it. I know. It's so good. I actually. I'm debating rebranding my entire business to that, um, but this is this is a conversation that I I need to ruminate and think about. But you'll always be able to find me on Instagram at the Passionate Physio, and if I ever change it, there will be a, there will be a link through my website, anyways. So amazing. Um, and my very last question: If um, someone listening here right now is you know maybe they're not in a in a place to feel worthy of stepping into this work with, with anyone. Um, what is, what is the one piece of advice that you would give a brand new mom, um, who is navigating, you know, the, the mindset block of, can I really, like, should I really be giving, you know, this time or, you know, focusing time on myself? What, what is the one thing that, that you would want her to know? I would want you to think about how you want your kids to see you. Do you want them to see you as a doormat or do they want you to see, do you want them to see you as a leader? And I think part of being a leader is doing hard things, even if you have never seen that modeled in your household, is making the hard choices to decide, to choose that I am worth it, even if I don't feel that way right now. Because guess what? You're not going to feel like you're worth it until you tell, until you show yourself. Actions speak louder than words. As you take more action steps towards self-care, towards movement, towards the things that bring you joy, you are going to start to feel naturally more worth it. And I think that's the biggest um, example that we can set for our kids is to live a life where we still show our kids that we're still important. My lives don't revolve around my kids. You know, that that's... Yeah. That's not why I became a mother. I became a mother for so many reasons, for all the joy and to set an example and to experience activities with them and relive my youth in some ways, but I didn't become a mom to give up my life. So yeah. uh, even if your mom has done that for you, you don't have to repeat those things. You you can choose to be different and it you can, you can work at it. I love that. Well, Sotabi, thank you so much for finding it not robbery to share some time and wisdom with us here. Um, It's always such a pleasure to connect with you. And, you know, I look forward to seeing you out on the interwebs very, very soon. (laughs) I'm so grateful for this conversation and thank you so much for having me. I'm sure your podcast is going to be amazing and I'm so excited to tune in. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.